and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. And I'm Lemuel, and I've directed a hit play. A hit play? Yes. One or many? The, well, at this point, it's uh, it's just the one that I've seen in the movie, and I'm making play. Is that what you've been doing for the last week, directing no. a hit play? <laughs> I just, I found it remarkable how many times he says, I've directed a hit play in this film. Feels like a... Very 15-year-old boy thing to say. Right, I directed also, a hit play. he fully directed a hit play. Right. Hi, guys, we watched Rushmore this week, <laughs> in case you did not know what that whole thing was about. Before we get into the movie and all of the hit plays within the movie, how was your week, sir? My week was spent trying very hard not to get sick. How'd that go? And so everything, all of my memories of the last week are fueled by NyQuil. And, and the back of me as I was trying not to breathe on your face. Right, Exactly. And trying to stay awake at work, and I was dispatching and taking notes from what people were telling me, and they wound up sequences of dots and scratches. Oh, good. So nobody's going to have any work done next week. Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm terrified of what next week will look like, and I might take that week off. Oh. Well, I'm leaving on Thursday, so... Okay, there we go. (laughs) Y'all are on your own. I'm sorry. I almost made you sick, and then kind of also did make you sick. I'm looking forward to this weekend. Where there'll be sleep? Where I will sleep... An awful lot. I take lots of medication and just power through it, which is the way that most people address being sick, I think, powering through it. That's not what I did. I went to sleep. Yeah, well. For like a week. But I was fortunate to be able to do that. Although this week's paycheck? Oh, I'm sorry. That's the problem with being freelance. When you don't work, you don't get paid. But yeah, I'm just getting used to my new sexy voice. Yeah, it'll be gone. you do have a little bit of a rasp it, going it'll on. Be gone. I, I'm, I'm thinking of singing Bonnie Raitt songs to myself. Just They're so sad. I know, but I have the voice for it now. You can't make make him love you. I, yeah, or I could make him love you. <laughs> It'd probably be her in my case. But yes. I had a great week. Thanks for yes. asking. So I was about to. <laughs> I didn't know you were doing with me. How was your week being sick after having made me sick? I wasn't really very sick this week. Okay. I don't really well, Some of us are so week. damn lucky, aren't they? This week was a little bit of a blur. Oh, really? Why? Mm, I don't know. Maybe I was still a little bit sick. I think you were. <laughs> so do you want to talk about the movie? Well, well, first of all, but what else did you do this week? I, don't, I literally don't remember. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I, am, I know that I was at work for some, some hours. Yeah. And then I know that I was doing other work for some other hours. And then I know that I have been eyeing watercolor stuff on the internet uh-huh. and not catching up on as much. Op- so we recorded this early. Hi. <laughs> Fourth wall break. Uh, We're speaking directly to the audience like we do every week. But it's, it's well, no, that's true. Uh behind-the-scenes look. We are recording this early, and this is the week where... It's the opposite of Sweeps Week. It's like premiere week, right? Yes, premiere week. So there are many things on our DVR, and I wanted to watch many more of them than I have. Yes. This being a Friday night, and I am very behind. So I sense a lot of background television this weekend, but we'll see how it goes. I will try to keep awake for it. I mean, it could be worse. You know, you say that you're missing this whole week. It it could be worse. It just occurred to me that my only memory of losing my virginity was when I was on high on cuff medicine, so I I don't really remember much of what happened. 
Well, that everyone was talking about it at school. <laughs> so. Everyone was talking about you losing your virginity at school? Did yes. you do it at school? No, no, no. I was home by that's myself. that's not acceptable. You sick. were home by yourself? Being very sick. When and, you lost your virginity? And this girl I'm called so and, what are you confused. doing? Well, everyone's at church and I'm just here by myself being sick. And she snuck over and I was high on confidence. And so I have flashes of what happened. And then... Afterwards, everyone's talking about it, and I was like, really, who? Did you, did you communicate your disease to this young lady? <laughs> well, it was a head cold, and I don't think I did. She was very careful, but... Um, <laughs> she's like, we can do this, but Bob is It'll okay. work, but um, yeah, and I remember everyone talking well, about it. That's a very disappointing story that <laughs> well, I didn't know I was going to be told tonight. Well, it's just when you mentioned, you know, not remembering for being sick, it's like, there are some things... Yeah. No, I didn't lose my virginity this week. (laughs) Right. That didn't happen, so. No. All right. You want (laughs) to, I don't know how to. (laughs) Well, since we're talking about being 15 years old. Oh, is that when it was? Perfectly appropriate also. I really feel like that was a little bit of a machismo. I lost my virginity when I was 15. Right. Congratulations, dude. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) You did, actually. I was relating it to being sick and not remembering, and Mm. so that sometimes... Really? Yeah, so that you could come around the no, back no. and relate it to being 15. See, I thought you were going to appreciate my segue mm-hmm. into the story. <laughs> but really, I see it? your segue for what your segue is. I see is. you. No, but uh, yeah. I, <laughs> to me, I just find it funny that I can't, for the life of me, I don't know what happened because I was so high on like NyQuil or something. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've pieced it together. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> It's mostly my imagination. That was magnificent, but... Well, I am grateful that you did not dox this young lady, and I no. hope that she has had a fulfilling life. I am sure she since has. Since that um, happened. Anyhow, in this house. In this house. That's upsetting. Actually, right next to the television I don't need sense. to know that. <laughs> but... That seems a very dangerous room with, with in which to do that. It's all windows. Well, but it was a Christmas tree up at the time, so... Oh, Merry Christmas, Yes, that's my... That's why you like the holidays so much. (laughs) We figured it out. Some missing memory. Anyhow, so this is not my story. I didn't expect this episode to go this way. (laughs) Abort. Abort. (laughs) Lots of NyQuil. Is that why you're so hesitant to take any medicine? Yes, it is. You're like, I don't want to... I missed out on the great experience, the formative experience of my youth, and now I... Yeah. Oh, my God. Eyeballs are so itchy. Okay. I itchy eyeballs. Okay, so this is the story. We're going to talk about Rushmore. Of Max Fisher. Wait, let's talk about what Rushmore is first. Okay, I didn't understand Ma- what it's called on Rushmore. On a macro level. Oh, that's right. That's the name of the school, dude. <laughs> so, I'm a 38 year old woman, and as a white woman, let me be very clear, uh-huh. and as such, it is my directive to love Wes Anderson films. However, I don't typically love them. So I was a little concerned going into this one, but this is an early one, and I do like some of his stuff. I just, yeah, we'll get into more on my feelings on Wes Anderson as we go, but uh, he's not my favorite director, as many women who fit my demographics would say that he is one of their favorite directors. I think he might appeal more to boys than girls. Hmm. Since I don't know if he's ever had a realistic female character in any of his movies. But I don't also know that he's had any realistic male characters in his movies. I don't think realism is his thing. No. So there's that. 
it's equal opportunity. We did find out while we were watching this that you are birthday twins with Mr. Wes I Anderson. I did not know this until you just mentioned it. He yes. was also born on May 1st, 1969. I doubted him. But he you outed himself me. first. That's the Mesozoic so era. I don't feel bad. Right. Uh, so you're exactly yeah. as old as This Wes is the Anderson. least troublesome thing about me people will find out in this episode. Yes, no, it's true. <laughs> I know. That's why I'm like, well, I don't feel bad because you've already right. said. Let's get into the plot but, of this well, movie. Describe this... it the, before we get into it, too. I don't have any particular attachment to Wes Anderson. But you like really like I, some of his stuff. I did like I Love Dogs. I Love Dogs, which sounds like I Love Dogs. No, but it's not. Olive juice. Olive juice. That's just the way your mouth mouth moves. But um, I liked this two films he did in stop motion because I love stop motion. Yes, I also like the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I have Mm -hmm. not seen Isle of Dogs, which is a really fun movie. Um, I did kind of like. You like Moonrise Kingdom. I like Moonrise Kingdom because it reminds me of uh, working with kids in the spectrum. I have not seen Moonrise (laughs) Kingdom. That was fun, but um, I really. I discovered that it's he has his own sort of fantasy world that he operates in. It's not realistic at all. No. And he's, so, it's so super stylized. Right. And it's almost like magic realism. But I don't know that there's a lot of It almost feels magic. like a comic book. It reminds me of watching... Yeah. Um, like Scott Pilgrim? Scott Pilgrim was exactly the film I was going to mention, where you're, you're interrupted by music cues from television shows and yeah. things like that. Only his references seem to be a lot more literary. Yeah. And... Um, and he's as internal as a, a director as maybe someone like um, David Lynch, only yeah. in a much more accessible way. Mm, well, it depends on depends on the person, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say that. I, I think that de- I think accessibility depends actually on the uh, person watching yeah. the media as opposed to the filmmaker. Because I would I think that there are people who find David Lynch accessible. I don't know them, and I am afraid I of one. them. But, <laughs> um, I don't, I, but I think that, yeah, because I wouldn't say that Wes Anderson's films are particularly, and this might not be true because you are a person of color, but I mm-hmm. would think that his films are not particularly accessible to people of color. Well, they, they, they feel this film in particular, very white to me. This film has a whole sort of prep school culture thing that is yeah. completely beyond me. No, I, me was, yeah, same. Uh, but uh, again, something, an experience that I have with film, as I've told you before and told our audience before. I like places or films that will take me someplace I've never been. Right. So this is an interesting world to me. It's so stylized, the representation of it, that I don't think I've actually seen that world no. that he's introducing me to. No. But um, It's funny because I get this uh-huh. in my brain, and it won't happen anymore now that I've seen one of the two movies, right. but I get this movie confused with Election. Really? Yes. Um, I believe they may have come out very, at a very similar time. Which was, um, this movie came out when I was a senior in high school. Uh-huh. Freshman in college, actually, is the end of the year, right? So yeah. I wasn't seeing a lot of films at the time, but I feel like this and Election came out very similar. And I, they were both set in a school. Right. And that is, and so I then they got conflated in my head. There. Yeah, yeah, probably, but they got conflated in my brain and for 20 years have lived conflated in my brain. So let's jump into this plot. Okay. So this is the story of Max Fisher. He's a 50-year-old boy, a scholarship student at Rushmore Academy, which is a private school. Uh, I want to let's talk about Max for a second. Okay, so let's talk about Max. Max is a monster. <laughs> Max, first of all, is played by Jason Schwartzman, who I do have an affinity for. Uh-huh. 
Uh, I owned a Phantom Planet CD. He was the drummer for the band Phantom Planet, um, which I may put a song at the tail end of this one okay. of of uh, a Phantom Planet song. And but and I like that he typically plays. I mean, he's in a lot, right. if not all, of Wes Anderson's films, and he typically plays something weird. Like he's he picks off kilter roles, but this character. This this child ruins lives and has no comeuppance. <laughs> like as we go, he fully ruins people's lives and gets no retribution. He get like nothing. He, yeah, so <laughs> he's a little bit of a monster. He doesn't intend to be a monster. And yet here we are. <laughs> so you look like you're going to disagree with me. So I'm let's. No, I'm not going to disagree with you. I'm going to think this one over. Okay. Carefully, because he does ruin people's lives. Mm-hmm. He does do horrible things to mm-hmm. people. Um. And I don't know that he does it. I think you, you can't say he, that he does it as willfully as a 15 year old boy does anything. Well, I, I think maybe that's what I. I'm thinking is that he he's a 15 year old boy with a great deal of intelligence and drive behind him, is what it is, and that if all 15 year old boys were so motivated, they would all be monsters, and they kind of they are. might all be monsters. I might just have a 15 year old boy prejudice. Yes, well, we've learned about that especially. <laughs> but I will let you let you continue with okay, the plot. Okay, well, thank you. Now that I have voiced your opinion <laughs> on his monstrosity, so he is. A very poor student. Yes. He That's spends... the thing. Like, I don't know if he's that smart. He's not good at schooling. Well, he's an artistic kind of smart. And an extracurricular kind of smart. But I think that most of what, when I look at the story, what it looks like to me is that here's a person who does not want to be a child in any way, no. shape, or form. He's absolutely hampered by his youth. But he also doesn't want to be an adult. Because no. I don't think... If if they told him you were graduating tomorrow, he would freak the fuck out. He wants to be in this place. Yes, he probably was he has wants found to be in this, this comfort place yes. for him. And that is the only thing that he wants or needs in his life is just to continue to go to this place and be in this place. Right. So he has a sort of a rivalry with the school's headmaster, Dr. Guggenheim who's the one who accepted him for a scholarship in the first place. When he was in, like, the first grade. Because he'd seen one of his plays. Oh, that's and right. now he wants to... He is constantly threatening Max with expulsion because yes. he's not doing any of his coursework properly and he's doing lots and lots and lots he and gets lots of like extracurricular the, he activities. He sort of gets the double-secret suspension thing like an animal house. He, he Guggenheim says, basically, like, Nah, if you don't get A's, you, you're done. You gotta go. Like this is ridiculous, and I can't anymore. And yep. then there is a real touching scene, though, at one point where Max asks if he regrets the decision to give him the scholarship, uh-huh. and he says no. But that and that little interaction, I really liked actually, because you could sort of see this adult's affection for the child at the same time he is. Frustrated. He's not a good student. He's Mm-mm. not a good. He probably would be a good student if he spent any time at all in schoolwork, but he does not. He is in 
150 clubs? All of the clubs. Well, clubs that he's created, everything from fencing to kung fu. But not I... just clubs he's created, also just yeah. other clubs, just the clubs on campus. Yeah. He's just, yeah. So, um, he meets a man named Herman Bloom, who's an industrialist who doesn't like to operate his multi-million dollar company. He's, this is Bill Murray. Bill Murray. And um, his marriage is falling apart and his two sons are kind of jerks. His two sons are probably my favorite part of the movie. Really? Yeah, I really like that joke. <laughs> like, the joke of those sons uh-huh. makes me laugh. Well, like, at one point he's like, I can't even tell them apart anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, and um, this character is introduced giving a speech at an assembly that's basically like, the world is fucked. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically it. And um, we should say that... Uh, this is sort of the beginning of the Bill Murray renaissance, the casting of him in this movie. He hadn't been in anything in quite a while. Um, and this sort of brought him back into sort of indie darling fame. So then he went on to do that movie in Japan. Um, Lost in Translation. Lost in Translation, which is a really good film. And various other uh-huh. Wes Anderson things and, and the other stuff that he's done in the last 20 years, which are, is sort so, of his revival. Okay. Mm-hmm. What? Um, you were going to ask? No, no. I'll put no. it off for later. Okay, so... Um, so, he beca- so Max and Herman Bloom form this odd relationship where they consider themselves... Or Bloom treats Max like an equal, which is all Max needs, yeah. frankly, because he doesn't like being a young person. And he also has all the sort of energy and drive that Bloom wishes that his kids had. Right. And also, I think... Max tells a lot of people, or tells everybody that his dad is a surgeon. Right. His father is a barber. Like well, he said, he's yeah. a he's a scholarship kid, and his mother is dead, so it's just him and his dad. Um, and he aspires to more, and Bloom is more. He's a yeah. multimillionaire. He's got. He's the success that um, Max would want to be, and Max is the kid that Bloom wants instead yeah. of these two dunderheads he has. Right. Um. So he Max also develops this kind of uncomfortable obsession with uh, Rosemary Cross, who's a widowed teacher who arrives at Rushmore as a first grade instructor who reads completely inappropriate books to young, 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 young yes, children. Yes, she does, yes. Um, and this is played by Olivia Williams, who's lovely in this movie. Yes, of course she is, because she is the center of a, a not-love triangle. Right. It's not love, it's not a love triangle. I would like to say for everyone watching this film that I found her relationship with Max to be very appropriate in that she never at any point her leads Her relationship with Max is appropriate. Right. His relationship with her is, is no. not appropriate. He is not, yes. He does not behave himself, but she does. Anyhow, so... A um, uh, giant bee has gone by. Right, yes, it's enormous. <laughs> So um, that's the, the the crux of the film is the relationships between Max yeah. and Rosemary Cross and Herman Bloom. Max loves Mrs. Cross. I'm going to refer to her as Mrs. Cross because that's how he should have referred to her because right. she's a teacher. Anyhow. And Herman starts acting like a wingman, which is a little bit weird. It's he a lot weird. He tries to discourage and Max from that, this too. Well, and then he says, I don't think that she's right for you because he falls for her. Right. 
and then she sort of falls for him, and then Max gets mad and ruins everybody's lives. Right. Literally. Mrs. Cross loses her job. Um, he gets expelled, he right? He gets expelled for attempting to open an aquarium on school grounds. He's trying to build an aquarium for Mrs. Cross. I'm not sure or, exactly why Mrs. Cross at any point... Ex- um, I'm not sure if there's something I missed where she was really... I think at one point she's like, I like fish or something. Right, something. I mean, it was not anything that would... But he is a person of large gesture. Right. That's just who he is. Well, he doesn't also seem to have the um, actual permission to open this aquarium that he wants to open. But anyhow, he's kicked out. He's forced to enroll in a public school. And uh, there he is, the apple of a, the eye of a young student named Margaret Yang, yes. who, he tr- who tries to befriend him, but he's really kind of um, obnoxiously off-putting with her. He's so into himself and his troubles as to be myopic to anybody else's existence or concerns. And that yeah. might just be being a 15-year-old boy. I don't know. But well, he's troubling to me. He's also not just sort of, you know, a loungy, emo 15-year-old. He's doing something constantly. So I think part of it is the fact that the whole world is in a bustle around him. There seems to always be somebody chasing him with a clipboard. And he's being adored by... He, he also seems to consistently have a fascination with older women. Because one of his protégés is a young kid whose mother is very beautiful. And who everyone knows Max is hanging around with this young kid specifically to try to get the attention of the mother, which is but not going to happen. But it doesn't seem... That was a weird relationship to me because it didn't seem to... Hit, he seemed oblivious to her being possibly into him. Uh, what? Now you're talking about whom now at this point? Max seemed oblivious to, to this woman, this mom, uh-huh. being into him, possibly. Okay. I didn't see him seeking out that attention. He wanted attention from adults, right. but I don't think he was looking at her the way that he was looking but at Miss Cross, because he was... Yes, well, no, not the same way, certainly, no. So infatuated. He's smitten with Miss Cross. and So in right. his jealousy of, Mr. B- of Bloom going after Cross, he tells Mr. Bloom's wife that he's having... What, Bloom, Mr. Bloom, Bloom, is, having Mr. Bloom is having an affair. Now, Mr. Bloom and Miss Cross have not uh, I don't think finalized anything at this They've point. They've not consummated this relationship. Um, that's what I meant. And so, but he gets kicked out, and he goes to a hotel, which then Max fills his hotel room with bees. Right. Which that's just fucked up, yo. But he's an apiarist. Apiarist. An ape, ape, for short. And then he cuts the fucking brakes on Bloom's car. And at that point is arrested because that is attempted murder. Hi. You have tried to murder this man. And I know that we're in like a weird magical realism land, but cutting the brakes on someone's car is cutting the brakes on someone's car. Like he wasn't going to, you know, crash through the windshield and bounce up like a human spring. He would have died dead, deceased. People could die in this world. We know Max's mom didn't make it. So, and Mrs. Cross is a widow. So, it just seemed, I was just like, 
Uh, There's a lot of potential that's death crime. in this story. And then after that, after Max is arrested for that, Bloom wants to have a truce with him. And I'm like, why do you want to have anything to do with this child that isn't yours, <laughs> that has ruined your life? But please, by all means, be friends with them. So I, that's where I was just like, why are they giving this kid the time of day? He's clearly a psychopath. <laughs> Let it go. You don't need him as a friend. You're a grown man. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't well, get the whimsy. I feel that, yes, that's absolutely everything that you said is true. <laughs> he is possibly a psychopath. Um, he tries to kill Mr. Bloom. Let's not sugarcoat it. He fails. He's arrested. And now he's... Uh, he stops going to school. It completely breaks him as a person. Yeah. Um, so then what happens afterwards is that he no longer... He, right. He, he just he has no motivation to do anything anymore. He goes to work at his dad's barbershop. Which He's is like, probably the best thing This is all I'll her. ever be. Which is a little upsetting because his dad is a hardworking man. Like, who no, loves I his mean, son. Right. <laughs> and so what happened so Dirk, who is the student who's been following around Max. Yes. This um, little blonde boy. Be, because Max may or may not have been into his mother, or the mother might have been into him, who knows? And in an attempt to appease a very large is he Scottish or Irish boy? I can't make out the I think accent. He's Scottish. Who keeps of uh, physically beating abusing uh, poor Max. Yes. He says that uh, he actually got a hand job from this kid's this mother. This kid's mom. Right. No, that's right. He says that just to piss off the Scottish kid, right? Right. Or to rile him up. He didn't actually, and no. he wasn't in search of it. Well, there, there seems to be an emphasis. We, we hear the term hand job several times in this film. I don't know that these kids know that there's other things. Yeah, I think this is the limit of sexual experience That for them. is... A home run. <laughs> right. That's Aww. the big time, I, I guess, if you're 15. But um, so the kid, you know, Dirk, then takes it out on Max um, by, uh, I, I, okay, it gets very complicated at this point. Yeah. So Max informs Bloom's wife of her husband's affair ending their marriage. Right. Max puts the bees in Bloom's hotel room. Bloom breaks Max's bicycle. Max is arrested for in cutting the brakes in the car. Yes. Right? So then Max becomes depressed and stops going to school and works at his father's barber shop. Right. And then one day Dirks goes to Max and apologizes and brings him a Christmas present. Yeah, we're we're getting title cards. So it starts in September, like right. the beginning of the school year. And I guess Max would be a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And then this is like the December, the beginning of December. So Dirk apologizes to Max and also tells him that Mr. the doctor is his nemesis from Guggenheim. Uh, Rushmore is in the hospital. And there Max goes and visits. That's I think one of the, the, the it's when Guggenheim sees that Max is in the hospital to visit him, he pretends to be unconscious. <laughs> yeah. And instead starts actually speaking. And it makes you feel like Guggenheim is pretending to be unconscious just so everyone will leave him alone. Seems like. Because his wife says something like, those are the first words he's spoken. He seems perfectly capable of speaking. Um, or he just has such a 
like an intense feeling towards right. Max, whatever that feeling it might just be. Wakes him out of that his, he, his state. Yeah, is woken out of his stupor. So then, uh, Max is then visited by Bloom, who says that uh, there's no longer a relationship between him and Miss Cross because Miss Cross is quote unquote in love with a dead person. Right. Which has is, not gotten over her right. husband. Max goes to apply himself in school, and he develops a relationship with Margaret, who's been ignoring and cast for one of his plays. Max does make one last attempt to uh, get Rose, Ms. Cross's attention by faking being in a car accident. Right in front of her house or something, And creeping right? into her, I think, second-story window in a thunderstorm. It's so weird. Yes. And when she finds out the injuries are fake, she is really, really angry at him. But now he's decided that since he can't have Mrs. Cross, he's going to win her back for Mr. Bloom. And um, that's yeah, when they... but there's it's not in this, but uh-huh. he has Bloom also at this point, at some point in here, spend five point well, that's it. That's the next thing that happens. Million dollars to build, the aquarium, to build the aquarium. Because the aquarium is... Um, according to Max's rationale, what will win this woman over? He's obsessed with this aquarium. So now he tells Bloom to... to and, sp- and Bloom does it. Right. He does it. How did this man make any money when this right. is the, the advice that he follows? He, he builds the aquarium, which fails, but then um, he sits them next to each other in one of his new hit plays. Yes. Um, he has written a new play. Right. And I'm not sure exactly... It is entitled, That Was My Play. What? Right. <laughs> um, and so... so and then makes, Margaret's in it, and he casts the big uh, Scottish kid that's been mocking him the whole time, and he's uh-huh. like, I always wanted to be in one of your plays. <laughs> Which is his whole motivation for being abusive and horrible, apparently. People, we just need to say what we want. It's healthier than so beating people up. Bloom and less satisfying, but but it's probably wrong. Healthier hands are not um, hitting. <laughs> so Bloom and Miss Cross seem to connect again. Well, they have they're seated next to each other. Of and course, they have their moment. And now all the parts of Max's life are together, including his dad, who's very very proud of him. His dad, is and it makes it almost him. sad that he's been. Ignoring his dad so long because his dad is just so enthusiastic yeah. to be there and, and going on about how oh, this is his son and this is a wonderful play. And so, um, yeah. And then Max and Margaret become a couple in a very odd way, which is that Mr. Bloom asks Margaret to dance and she says, like, I'm spoken for. Yep. Get away from me, you dirty old man. I don't know what she That's says. That's probably what I'd like say that. to Bill Murray, too. And then... Um, uh, Max says it's okay. He's a friend, which actually, again, is probably one of the reasons why I can appreciate more as a you know at this point uh, the director's work because it's a direct reference to Jules and Jim. I don't know what that is. It's a very influential French film. Oh, okay. Uh, it's okay. He's a friend, and so they're dancing together, and then they go off and dance, and he dances with Mrs. Cross. Inappropriate, inappropriate. Well, but it's still, at this point, he knows, you know, the fantasy has gone out of his head, I believe. I would hope so. I think but he got, oh, at some point, I don't, we skipped it. He got her fired. She was fired because of his antics. Right. Okay, that, yes. There's so much plot in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I know, I like know. It's like eight men out, because it's hard to, you have to bring in Dirk, 
But yeah, Dirk is like the little. He's a lever at one point in the plot, but before that, he really doesn't do anything. No, he's just like a minion. Right. Lots of minions in this film. Do you think the minions are based on Dirk? They're based on Dirk because they're small and yellow. Yes. Weird. Was Anderson so powerful in Hollywood? Uh, but yeah, I've, I'm just like, why? Why have these people not pressed charges against this child? Why are they still communicating with him? He literally broke up a, th- that dude's wedding or marriage, six bees on him, and cut his brake lines, and then made him spend like six million dollars on an aquarium. Granted, that was his choice. He's a grown man and he makes his own fiscal decisions, but still. And then Miss Cross lost her fucking job because of this kid. But yeah, I'm definitely going to come to your play. Nah, fuck you. I don't need to ever see you again. Like, it's just... I guess I have to go ahead and suspend all my disbelief and believe that for an adorable white child, we do anything they ask. Might be true. Um, I think that, yes, there's that. (laughs) I also think that um, the... What I see is that Ms. Cross tells him at one point that she, or rather Max, reminds her of her deceased husband. And so she... Oh, hey, that's another, never a thing you want to say to a child with a infatuation. But that it, um, and, and it winds up, these are all very lonely kind of people, despite it's the fact true. they're kind of, they're, they're sort of the, the center of attention all the time, for one reason or another. And I think Mr. Bloom is the most outwardly lonely and sad sack of them all. But I think that that might be an element of what supposedly, what we're supposed to believe draws these people together is the fact that they're all sort of sad and lonely. And Max, despite his success, is just the person who doesn't want to be a child and keeps wanting to have relationships with adults, have romantic relationships with adults. He wants to, as you said, he doesn't necessarily want to be an adult in terms of responsibility, but he just wants to attack it, you know, um, full steam. He reminds me of the kind of guy who gets his doctorate because he's afraid of leaving school. Yeah, that seems right. I, I just don't see him going to a job. Although, you know, he does an admirable, admirable work when he's working with his dad. Right, and I think that the relationship with the dad is actually, to me, one of my favorite parts of the movie because he's so... Um, the dad is such a salt-of-the-earth guy. Yeah. And so it does make you feel bad that Max has been treating him so poorly all this time. Yeah. But um, but anyhow, yeah. So so, how did you feel about the film now that you've seen it? Now that you know it's not. Well, I liked it, and um, another thing that I really liked that I have um, trouble with in some of his other work is he uses music very um, deliberately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark Mothersbaugh did the score on this. I pretty much love anything that he does, and then the music picked for the soundtrack is all very good, and I like it very much. Um, it's probably my favorite of his soundtracks. He used a lot of stuff. Uh, he originally, I guess, intended the entire soundtrack to be songs by the Kinks. <laughs> um, but instead he, uh, sort of expanded out to British Invasion stuff. Uh, which made sense. Also, does this movie take place... In a time? Um, it's hard to tell because the film is so stylized. I didn't really... I know that it takes place over a year. Right. But I don't know... What period What year that yes. might be. Um, 
And, uh, but yeah, I wanted to mention the music because I did um, enjoy the music quite a bit. Um, and I guess this movie was co-written with Owen Wilson. Who appears in the film briefly. No. Does uh, he? Um, Luke is in it. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke Wilson. I, I got Alexis that Alexis Liddell is in the film, too, yes, for some reason. Yes, as a reason. student, she's unnamed, but she is in one scene, I think. Unnamed student, Alexis Liddell. Um, so Owen Wilson co-wrote the script, but Luke Wilson is in it. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. As, like, a date of... Yes, um, this is right after... Um, He's a doctor. There's the Serpico play that... All the plays that um, Max, Max quote, produces <laughs> yes. are age-inappropriate. Uh, and we're yeah. really aware of that. The last one is like Apocalypse Now? Something like that. And so as we start that scene... There's like literal the fire on the party, stage. Right, it's there's bananas. explosives going on. Uh, at the after party for the play, uh, we were shown first pictures of naked woman pinned up inside of a bunkhouse. That's right. And then we pull away and reveal that to be the set that these teenage the kids have been these playing kids were on. Yeah. So it's like he he does everything with this horrible intensity that um, I, I actually find very funny. And I, I, I don't know if that was sort of the point. It's like, oh, I'm getting the joke now because he's just so intense about everything. Um, yeah, so, so the music you liked, what else? Um, you know, I love Jason Schwartzman. I didn't hate Bill Murray. Now, that seems harsh, but Bill Murray is a person who reminds me of something that I don't know what it is, and it makes me uncomfortable. So he sk- he skicks me out pretty badly. <laughs> That's not a word, but it is now. And so I don't find him adorable and charming. I find him to be a person I don't necessarily want to be in the same room with. This is no fault of Bill Murray, I'm sure, but that is how I feel. All but told, I, I hear he's a really nice him. guy. I know, I know, so I feel which bad is about. why I feel badly that that is how I feel, but people remind you of things in your life, there's nothing, it's right. not their fault, it's not my fault, it just is, uh, but I didn't dislike him in this. Mostly I was just puzzled by motivations, like... I'm reading here, and um, according to Wes Anderson, one of the things that was most appealing to him and Owen Wilson when they were writing this was the initial idea of a 15-year-old kid and a 50-year-old man becoming friends and equals. Well, no. (laughs) I know exactly what you're thinking. And maybe I'm old or something, but a 15-year-old kid and a 50-year-old man aren't equals, <laughs> like, definitively, legally, I think, legally, I think that, equals. what, again, we're looking at is a person who desperately wants to be taken seriously. Yeah. And so the fact that Mr. Bloom takes him seriously... Yeah. No, I understand is, that. ...is what wins it over. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't not understand Max's whole thing. I get Max's whole thing. Right. I don't understand the adults around him. And their motivations. Now, granted, we're watching a movie that's about Max, so... Well, as I said, I believe it's really just... Uh, there's a very lonely group of people. Yeah. Who don't find a way of relating to anything else. And that's, they ba- to that's like Wes Anderson's whole thing, right? right? 
is just so and he, they also relate to lonely oddballs and right these are attempted attempts at connection all these people in this film i feel from little uh, his little minion to mr bloom to minion this cross are all people who are sort of floating around even the scottish bully are all people mm-hmm. who are sort of floating around um, like the bully clearly just wants to be in a play. Right. Disconnected from each other. Mm-hmm. And that this guy winds up being the person who unites everyone. Yeah. By his way of sort of blazing through everything. He's larger than life and all these people get stuck in his orbit. Yeah. But they don't mind being stuck in his orbit because they're very lonely and it's always kind of but he's Max's an interesting ruins. place to be. Maybe that's it. He is an interesting place to be, but I'm just like, he's a psychopath and he's straight. Now, again, you're asking me to explain the rationale of a movie that is so obviously unrealistic. Yeah, that's true, too. It's just, that's what troubles me with with things like this, where I'm just like, I have to suspend so much disbelief to get Mm. into the story that I am sort of at a loss. And I didn't have a character in the movie that I could sort of relate to. Uh-huh. I didn't feel that any of the characters were particularly relatable to give me sort of a, like a foothold uh-huh. in the world and the motivations. That's sort of my problem. And I think that's generally my problem with Wes Anderson movies is I don't feel like any of these characters speaks to me in a way that makes sense to give me a foothold into the reality that he's painting. Right. Okay, I can see that. So, maybe I'm just an unwhimsical prat. No, I think that you have a perfectly valid opinion. Thanks. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a perfectly valid... Way. No, no, I don't mean to be condescending, <laughs> although most I of the time I do. Mm. In this particular case, no. I think that when I say perfectly valid opinion, it's difficult when you're looking at and and this is why I'm appreciating him right now, mm-hmm. is that there's so much product being created in mm-hmm. terms of film. I will say I do appreciate right. the skill with which he makes a film. But also the sort of idiosyncratic and the details. Nature. Right. Yeah. And it, that's what that's where he loses me. Uh, like I, I enjoyed watching the movie. I would watch this movie again, which I wouldn't say about a lot of the other Wes uh-huh. Anderson movies that I've seen. I'm like, okay, I've I've done that now, and I don't need to do it again. Um, this movie was entertaining and uh, beautiful to look at, but I just didn't. It doesn't. I don't get sort of touched by his movies. Like I don't. Well, I think anything what, what about works them. for it is there's a lot of people who don't. We have a generation. We have a generation of people. Here we are. We're destroying uh, divorces most lately. As the elder statesman. Um, we have a generation of people, young people, I think, who grew up watching this, who had no connection to what the social cues or the mores were for another generation. And they all felt kind of dislocated and I think this movie appeals to people who feel sort of dislocated like I'm not following your where in other words he as I said all these people are drifting aimlessly mm-hmm. and Max sort of draws them together mm-hmm. and Max takes his cues on behavior from movies basically 
I guess, but like I never see temper him. temper tantrums when you know watch, I produced a hit play. Right. Yeah, you never see him. You watching never movies. see him watching movies. Right. So you're like, where is he getting this? I, and he's of course getting this from the movies that Wes Anderson has seen. Right. But because we're not, we're seeing him constantly in action uh, in the world. It's like, where are these references that he's making coming from? It feels a little disjointed, like that. Like if he was yes. a movie buff. Uh-huh. Then this might make well, a I lot said, more sense. I thought the fact but that, when he's out there uh, fencing ninety hours a week or whatever, the movie buff I think comes out in the plays he's doing. Right. It's like, why do you have a Serpico stage play? But done with kids. And again, the, the part that amuses me is done with kids. So there's a bunch of kids swearing <laughs> yeah, and buying drugs. And but but what I'm saying is, we see the right, output of see, it. Right. We don't see the input of we it because that doesn't started. come from nowhere. Obviously. Right. He's got all these references and he's making all of these, um, or he's he's acting this way in sort of correlation with the stuff that he's seen, right. but we're not seeing where he's ever seen any of these things. No, you're right. It's, he's not a Dawson Leary who is, you know, perpetually f- watching movies or... I'm not, I, I know. I hated that guy. <laughs> so did the makers of Dawson's Creek who made him... A not basically not even a main character and then a villain for right. a little while. Well, so. but, but that reminds me of the kind of people that you meet in a film class. There are all these people who have no idea how to re- relate to life. If it's not, they will tell you. I had an experience, and they'll tell you a scene from a film. It was like yeah. Children of a Lesser God. Which is, like, oh damn, that's <laughs> right? very dramatic. No, that I'm not kidding. Every right? scene is very dramatic. Um, so what I'm at, I'm having the exact opposite problem with uh-huh. this movie, where I don't have an in mm-hmm. to this movie because I can't figure out how we got here. Like I just don't know. So, but like I said, it's a movie. It was enjoyable to watch. Yes, and um, I think everybody was very good in it. Yeah, I think I really I enjoyed it. Um, I wasn't expecting to, and I like when we go through lists of movies because. Sometimes with the way that we've been approaching them lately um, for the show, it can be a terrible miss. You know, the Babylon AD film, I just yeah. like, oh, God. That was a bummer. I mean, how... We <laughs> haven't watched anything that was... Well, no, that was pretty dreadful. Mm-hmm. But mostly because I was just trying to figure out a thing that was unfigureoutable. Like, it's a puzzle and it's solvable. No, 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 I it think, is not. And as I told you at the time, I think you gave more consideration or more, you put more thought into your review of the film than the filmmakers did well, to the film. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what's in their, their hearts and minds. I don't but. know what's in their hearts. It sounds almost <laughs> biblical. I don't know what's in the heart of a man who makes such a bad movie. Um, But, yeah, but so this, this is probably my favorite of the yeah. Wes Anderson movies that I've, not probably, this is my favorite of the Wes Anderson movies that yeah. I've seen. Um, but like I said, I haven't seen, I've seen, let's see, let's look at his list. I have not seen Bottle Rocket. I bet I would like it. I bet I like his early stuff more than I like his later stuff. Um, let me look at my Wes Anderson Wikipedia page. So I've seen... The Royal Tenenbaums? I haven't seen it. I have seen... Not seen, or and I have seen the Life Aquatic with Steve Zuzu. I have not. Everyone recommends that to me. I think you would like it, and I didn't totally hate it. I didn't enjoy the Royal Tenenbaums. 
at all. Um, I've seen the Darjeeling Limited and I didn't care for it. Haven't seen. Not it. that I disliked it, I just didn't care about mm. it. Um, I've seen the Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I enjoyed. Which I really did enjoy. I have not seen Moonrise Kingdom. I did. I have not seen the Grand Budapest Hotel. Which I did too, now that I think of it. And it was very uneven for me. Mm -hmm. But I did like the, um, I did like the art direction. (laughs) I think it sounds horrible. I really liked the art direction. And, um, and then the latest is Isle Mm. of Dogs and I have not seen that, but I do want to see that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lovely movie. So, you know, my most surprising thing with Wes Anderson is it feels like he's my age and he's not. Yeah. He's a full decade older than me. How's it feel? <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, no, he just, because people my age... It, He's revered. ...like his stuff so much and uh-huh. really are invested in him as... And I would consider him an auteur. Uh-huh. His stuff yes, is... absolutely. It's not... You're never going to watch a Wes Anderson movie and be like... Who was that? David Fincher? No, 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 no it was not. Um, now Steven Spielberg, his visual style to me is not that distinctive, but mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's visual style is. Very if you grew up with it, I think that maybe, maybe that's Steven what it is. Steven Spielberg's visual style was really distinctive and kind of formulated around a certain period of time when I was young and watching movies. Right. But I think maybe because he is so acclaimed, so many other people have sort of bit right. on that style, mm-hmm. that now he's just... General movie style. Yeah, There's not exactly. There's particular yeah. about him. I mean... Polished film style. <laughs> when, I was, uh, when I was a kid, I was watching uh, interviews during summer vacation uh, from school, watching interviews with... Uh, God, what is his name now? Dick Havitt. Oh. Of all people. And interviews with him or interviews well, he interviews was doing? With people in general. And then he hit Steven Spielberg. And i that was what was so disappointing with me about Steven Spielberg because I felt like he and I had seen all the same movies. Yeah. But he had, um, he, when he talked about the stuff he'd seen. I bet you and young Steven Spielberg would have gotten along very well. And I bet the success and Hollywood has made him a person you don't like anymore. I think what the problem is that every time I see one of his movies, I see the dozen movies that got put into that, you know. Mm. And, and so, he doesn't do what Quentin Tarantino no. does, which is, oh yeah, no, I'm totally stealing from all well, of these things that I love Quentin and Tarantino I'm making my own version of it. to love the movies that he's ripping off mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg seems to think, oh, I can do it better with more technology. Better. Gotcha. And okay. also there's the, I think one of the things that really killed me was uh, the reissue of E.T. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when E.T. got reissued, he erased the work of Carlo Rambaldi, who built the original E.T. Oh, right. And replaced it with CGI. And to the extent to where he does, a, he was doing a program about the reissue on... Um, on the Today Show, and he's, uh-huh. I think Drew Barrymore was there, and, mm-hmm. and so there's a cast picture of everyone standing there next to Carlo Rambaldi, because it's like a family member of the cast, mm-hmm. and he says, "Well, here's a picture of the cast of the film and a technician," and it was just, "Oh yeah, no, he's a smug asshole." Right. But my sense is, though, maybe before when he was a right. new filmmaker, 
he was in awe of these people. Right. And then maybe he, like a John Lennon, believes right. his own hype yes. and is like... and that probably is the case because in the yeah. early interviews, I loved hearing about, oh, this is really hysterical about when he used to sneak onto movie sets mm-hmm. and pretend to be a production... Because I feel like, and... yeah, his mm-hmm. original take to film is very similar to your love of film mm-hmm. and take to film, but, you know, you give somebody money and power... And yeah. if they believe in themselves too much, it goes to their head and you lose that original, you know. I, to which I would say, and only five people will get this, case in point, Steven Seagal. So oh. there you go. Yeah. He's a... That's sad. That's so sad. He's I, unwell. I knew I uh, in martial arts, I've known people who've actually worked out with him before and after. And they're like, I don't even know that's the same person. Oh. Uh, a guy I used to work with at... at this uh, is the danger of yes yeah. men. If I ever get, like, very rich and powerful, it's not going to happen, but if I ever did, I'd probably have to hire somebody to say no to me. I I, I guess so, because he's... Because clearly, uh, if you have people on your payroll, they're going to always say yes to you. I need somebody to be like, hey, you've lost your damn mind. <laughs> I need you to really not do the things that you're doing. Because otherwise you die horribly like Michael Jackson. Yeah. I mean, in his case... Whitney Houston probably didn't have any friends around her. Like, famous people who don't have grounding tend to end badly. Or just become insufferable assholes, right. which to me is ending badly. Well, so <laughs> yes, that's a bad end. But uh, yeah, that that was I, I knew people knew people who had worked with him before, and then afterwards, just in the martial arts community, and then afterwards, like, what the before hell? Before and after what? Guy? What's his thing? Is well, it just like, uh, after under siege. After yes, yeah, sometime after under siege, when he started headlining movies and making a lot of money. Yeah. Then suddenly he's telling these ridiculous stories about himself that are easily disprovable about right. how he met Bruce Lee. It's like when you were five, you know, all these other things that were going on. Yeah. Um, and it's like, or another one was uh, when he worked in a movie called The Challenge, he taught Sh- Toshiro Mifune how to use a sword. This is 20 years after Seven Samurai. You need to get the shit <laughs> right? It's just like, wait, you? what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was, it's, he's gone off in some direction. You're going, well, at one point he was a very reputable person and now he's, like a Russian stooge, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, one hundred percent, and you know, some sort of a sex abuser, and he's just a terrible human being. Power corrupts, y'all. What happened? Let's not right. have any. Let's be yeah. powerless. I'm gonna together. well. <laughs> Wait. Doesn't come out. We're gonna the way rethink that before yeah. our next program, and maybe come up with a better slogan. <laughs> All right, are we powerless is, together? Do That's you have fine. more to say about this? No, you know what? I think I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, mm-hmm. and as a result, I would give it a thumbs up. In the words of genuine movie critics, um, and it, I, you're right. The music actually really worked. It, yeah, it, I really liked the music. It creates in... a cumulative effect to where there are scenes I'm. I'm humming the music to myself and remembering scenes from the movie because everything fits so cohesively. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think a big part of that is Mark Mothersbaugh, who but is yeah. very gifted at what he does. But a lot of times when you hear music attached to films, it's just sort of a nonsensical... Think about um, Suicide Squad. Oh, I'd rather not. Well, <laughs> where there was just... 
a succession of what amounted to music videos thrown in the middle of this film. Yeah, for reals. For no particular reason, other than that... Because it needed to be longer. I, I, <laughs> but that's a film to me that is really instructive, uh, a lesson in how to fail at making a, a blockbuster movie. That was the example for me. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, there was just these sort of music videos and it doesn't really relate to... Like what? What is that? How does that connect to the film? It just seems like it's there because there's an opportunity for promotion for both the soundtrack and. The, but this one really felt integrated, yeah. really carefully integrated, and a, a great deal of thought was put into it, and so it's bringing back the movie to you in all sorts of different ways. So yeah, it was it was very successful. Yay! So Wes Anderson, you done fucked it up. You did. Mm. <laughs> you done didn't fucked it up. You done didn't. Um, do you have any current recommendations? I unfortunately don't because I've been sick for an entire week and there's nothing. Yeah. Oh, although since we're coming to Halloween season, I'll recommend an old movie to you. Okay. Okay. And it's an old movie that I saw recently. um, And you can probably find it. um, I guess where did I find it? What is it? Uh, It's a film called Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines, based on a short story by Stephen King. Mm, no. Was but it, it is I really a 19, thought it was. It's a 1988 uh, horror film directed by George Romero. Yeah. And George Romero is famous, of course, for Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and for starting that whole industry, which is... It small. is based on a thing, though. Right, it's based on a book. <laughs> but it's um, by Michael Stewart. Um, yes. But it's a film about... It was done in 1988, so it's not a new film by any... Um, measure uh but it's about a man who it is on amazon prime Uh if you have that he is uh, spoiler alert he is struck he's an athlete who is struck by a car in an accident yes uh, while jogging and he winds up becoming a quadriplegic and he gets a helper monkey and he gets a helper monkey now this monkey then it's a horror movie, so that's right. probably all you need to say. <laughs> the helper monkey has been experimented with by a friend of our hero who has been injecting it with small portions of human brain. Oh, no. That's and this monkey is taken to works. it, and the helping of this quadriplegic hero becomes a catalyst to, um, to the monkey forming a, a sympathetic bond. And I won't go into what happens after no. that. I okay. If you're gonna recommend this movie, I'm gonna recommend the episode of How Did This Get Made uh, that they did on Monkey Shines. I watch the movie first because uh, they do what we do, so they're gonna give you a plot right. by plot. But that episode is one of the funniest episodes. No, I don't understand because the movie is very good. It it's it's just trust me. Okay, the episode so of How Did This Get Made. What I appreciated watching the film this time around. Excuse me. Oh, oh, bless you. It's okay, Zaxmos. Ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What I appreciate about this movie this time around is the both the frustration of the main character at being in the wheelchair and having been an athlete, and the relationship he forms with a young woman who is coaching the monkey, who's uh it's Jason Bay. And Kate McNeil. Uh, Stanley Tucci is in it. Janine Turner, they're all very young, though. But the relationship that they have together 
as a woman who's actively flirting with a man in a wheelchair. See, I like to see that. Is, that's, it's that's really good. not ableist, and no, we like as, to see that. They joke about it. Like, he, uh, at one point, he's talking to his mom, who's just this domineering woman in his life, and uh, they're looking at films of him as a little boy on Halloween. And remember, he's in an automated wheelchair. And uh, she says something like, um, you know, you're a pirate. You were so upset. You wanted to be that robot from the movie. What's his name? Robbie the Robot. And then he plays with a chair and he goes, yeah, I guess I got my wish. Right. Or another part when he's introduced to uh, Melanie, the, this woman, the romantic lead. Oh, I love the name Melanie and we never hear it yes, anymore. not nearly enough. She says, uh, she's introduced to him and she goes, oh, I should have known it would be you. You're the only one not standing when she entered the room. And there's a lot of kind of cute asides, and the relationship that comes out of that feels really real. And for those of you who might be sensitive to it, that relationship is consummated. And it's one of the few times you ever see a scene like that in a movie. Yeah. And it was... It is. It, it, that's sort of disturbingly rare. I would like to speak up for on my own behalf uh, very quickly. The cover of Stephen King's book Skeleton Crew is the same as the movie poster right, for Monkey Shines. Yes. It's got that that clang 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 monkey toy. Uh-huh. That is why I thought that they were related to one another. They are in fact not, and I apologize, but I'm not totally out of line. Also, I'm pretty sure Paul makes the same mistake in the How Did This Get Made episode, right. which is episode 96 from 2014. Well, I hope they're not too critical of it because I really do like the film. I think a lot of it is critical, being critical of the science because the yeah. science doesn't make look at sense. It never does. I love Deep yeah. Blue Sea, so I'm not going to... I mean, mean, but it, it's science fiction. And, but, um, and a right. lot of it is June hoping that the monkey got paid appropriately. The monkey That's legitimately is part of it. a ridiculously expressive actor. Is that a cup of chip? Yes. And there are scenes where, there are scenes where the monkey does things that are, are hysterical. Um, like when it realizes, the monkey realizes it's increasing its brain power with these shots. It, does it have a... What? And I will cut this out if you think it's right. a spoiler. Is there a flowers for Algernon situation with the monkey? No. Okay, good. Um, what... <laughs> What does happen... <laughs> Probably because it's just going to start getting murdered. <laughs> right. Well, the, the monkey, it, you, you really get a sense of the relationship between the two of them, and then it goes sour, and it goes sour really big. But there's an interesting... Is the monkey a lady monkey? It's a female monkey. Mm-hmm. And the brains that it's being attached to are female. Um, that doesn't matter to me at all, because, no, no, because my, my, remember, this my is a, brain is going... Uh, if you inject brain into something, nothing happens. That's but again, not a thing. You are thinking in terms of what we know now, not <laughs> no, in nineteen eighty eight. I know, but or when the book was written, when they still had uh, what was the the the, the this theory? This feels like a Robin Cook story. The uh, flatworm theory that you feed flatworms to flatworms and they absorb the knowledge. So that was the premise that the movie was going Is on. That, have they disproven that? Um, I know that there's a thing a where they can then like do mazes and shit. Right. There's been a great deal of uh, questioning of the evidence in that case. But a flatworm is not a is not as sophisticated a as a monkey. <laughs> exactly. Like they don't um, have a, a brain. Right. But you're not also told all the other chemicals that make up this cocktail that is the monkey is being given. We're getting so real science, deep into the well, science here. Sorry, it's guys. It's science fiction <laughs> for its time, but what works for the film is 
I think the ending, and it reminded me of another, uh, there's a film called Eye of the Needle that has a similar, like, what the hell is going to happen next in this ending? Because the climax is about 15 minutes long, mm-hmm. where somebody's trying to do something, and then it's stopped, and then something else happens and stopped, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it really works in that way. And I remember every once in a while, I'll t- pull this one out and show it to somebody. I've never met a person who isn't engaged by seeing the end of the movie, like, what the hell is going to happen? So cool, cool, cool. it works as a thriller, yeah. Awesome. So Monkey Shines. And it's one that people don't remember. They, they think of George Romero, Night of the Living Dead. Well, he did a lot of other stuff in this Yeah, I don't consider, I don't think of him when I think of this, but I did know the movie mostly because of how to right. that Ken made an episode. Which I might listen to, yes. I don't have a problem when they don't like a thing. Uh-huh. Like, their whole thing is pointing out ridiculousness, and I can't really disagree, that, but the ridiculousness that's pointed out doesn't necessarily make me like a movie less. You know what I mean? It's not that. I only don't like it when they point out something and they're completely wrong about it. Like, they didn't understand the context of it because they didn't understand... Cause, cause well, a lot of to times, be fair, yeah. they're coming at this movie from a not-filmmaker place. Right. And if they misunderstood the context, that's not really on them. Sometimes I would argue it, yeah. that if you don't put the context that your movie needs into your movie... If it's not on the page, it's not on the page. Right. If it's not on the screen, it's not on the screen. It's like when you're, you know, when you're getting critiques for writing, you're like, well, I meant this. Right. Well, that's well, not what the fuck I okay, meant. And I can see that because I remember we had this discussion about Oliver Stone's horror film, The Hand. Oliver Stone was that's going to That's an Oliver Stone yes, movie? Oliver I think Stone I say that every time. wanted to do horror films and then realized, because he thought that it was a kind of film that he could succeed at easily, and people... Oh yeah, no horror is not. Is, it needs easy. A, a certain kind of person, and it needs, a, and even people who don't. Some of the most successful horror directors are people who don't like horror. Yeah, but they have the right kind of yeah. personality for it. Yeah, and we were mentioning how in that film, Michael Caine's wife is cheating on him and wants to sleep around, and not sleep around. That sounds dimin- diminishing. Wants to sleep with people that aren't him. Right, and but <laughs> wants to have an open marriage and wants to explore other things in her gotcha. life. Gotcha. Okay. And then he is against this, and then there's an accident, his hand is severed off. But the whole point of the film is, afterwards watching the documentary, because at the time watching the film and watching, I'm going, his wife is such a horrid, horrid person. And then Oliver Stone in the documentary that was issued with the film goes, well, she was the hero and Michael Caine was the villain in the story. I'm going, if that's what you were aiming at, you really fucked you up. You miss, you miss. <laughs> you have no... Because I just thought... You shot way the fuck over This woman's there. a horrid bitch, and she's really mean to her husband. And then, wait, 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 wait. The husband's supposed to be the villain. Then, wait a second. Then, whatever you communicated to me was completely that's off. That's interesting. And I think that... I think a lot of male filmmakers... Uh, think that that shit is things that they're doing. Right. And then you watch the movie, and they're like, no, it just looks like you hate women. That's well, what I'm getting from this text. I remember going to Cal Shakes and seeing uh, Uncle Vanya and hearing uh, the dramaturge explain how the author really thought he was doing a comedy. And he kept... He ran to the stage the first time he saw it performed uh, by someone other than himself. He performed it in uh, Chekhov, right? Right. He directed a, a version of it that was an utter failure, and he hid under his bed for like weeks or something. And then uh, he stopped writing plays, and he moves off to the country and was a clerk or something. I, keep, I can't remember that part of the story. But another director found the material and said, can I please direct this play? He's like, go ahead. It's going to be a mess. It, right. it won't work. 
to and then fail if you want to. A huge success. So he goes to see it very proud, and then at one point breaks from the audience and runs towards the stage and throws himself onto it, saying, No, this is a comedy, you're doing it wrong. And everyone's looking at him like, How in the hell is this a this comedy? Shit ain't fu- well, right. yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so I could go into the um insanity of the famous famous Russian writers. Right. Chekhov was the least insane yes, of, the, I know. of the of the Tolstoy Chekhov uh, Dostoevsky trifecta, yeah. but only because he died in his fifties. <laughs> but the notion and the, the version that I saw with a friend that night was Cal Shakes attempting to do it as a comedy, and it was horrible. Horrible. Oh, it wow. was, the, they were trying so desperately to wring some humor from having people running up and down the stage, flailing their arms like Muppets. Yeah. Uh, and it just, it didn't... No, I... I no. It was horrible. I, yeah, no. I've seen the, um, the staging of it, the uh-huh. Wallace Shawn, right. Julianne Moore staging of it. Uh, it's not a... It's not yeah, a I just could not comedy. understand it. There are comedic elements, and it is and like one or two you scenes are funny. Dark yeah. comedy, but the overall tone. Yes. Unless you're dead inside. <laughs> so the Russians actually should have been totally fine inside? with it. But <laughs> oh, did I just upset all of our Russian listeners? I apologize. Um. But okay. okay, so what's your recommendation now that we've gone off? So my track recommendation is sort of twofold. Mm. The first thing is I have seen. I'm afraid that it won't still be in theaters when this comes out. Uh-huh. The House with the Clock in Its Walls, although it was number one at the box office. Right. You. So it could be. I had. Well, you go ahead first. So I'll explain my. I have no experience with the source material. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to go to a movie. And Kate Blanchett is pretty great. And you were afraid they were going to Harry Potter it up. Uh-huh. And I like Harry Potter. So I was like, no, I'll go see it. And I think it's a very good kids movie. I was entertained. I was also thoroughly creeped out by certain parts of it. Um, and I thought it was an entertaining and well-made movie all the way through. Now, like I said, I have literally no idea what the source material is what it's like, what the tone is. I don't know anything about it. Haven't read it. Don't plan on reading it. So, you know, but if you have an 8 to 12-year-old kid, take him to see this movie. It's a good Halloween movie, I think, for children. It's light enough. Um, and the child actor in it that plays the, the boy is very good and very watchable. So that is... The right. first half of what I want to say. What yeah. are you going to say? Well, no. Um, my objection is I grew up reading John Bellairs, and he's this very kind of crusty, erudite Catholic author who includes lots of sort of images of ancient volumes and That's witchcraft. Fine. And, it's still a book right. for kids. But it's a book for kids. And but a movie for kids. When I saw kids. the trailer for it, I was two things made me worry. Eli Roth, for one. Yeah, and I know secondly, you don't, you're not trusting of Eli Roth, and I don't necessarily blame the you for advertisement, that. The advertisement for the movie did Harry Potter it up. I don't know about the actual film itself. Um, but it was also, that particular one is a favorite because I read it to my son. I will really say, I was watching clips, like trailers, uh-huh. and a lot of what's in the trailer is not in the film. Okay. So I'm wondering if they did that specifically to get people in the door because 
people don't know this. Right. And and it's my generation. And I'm, yeah, yeah cause I, but I'm telling you, uh-huh. people with 10-year-old yeah. kids yeah. don't know this so, book. Because mm-hmm. I have friends on Facebook that are like, oh, apparently the, this is based on something, but I've right. never fucking and heard it's, of it. And it's a whole series of But books. they're taking their kids to it. So I'm saying yeah. whether or not you know the, sh- the yes. story. Yes, and, and I might give it a chance maybe I later. think when it comes to, you know, uh, to HBO or whatever, or Netflix, whatever, wherever it ends up in it, distribution, mm-hmm. I think if you watch it, you won't be disappointed. It was, yeah, it was one of the first books that my son and I really bonded over that I was something I loved that he loved too. Right. And so, to me, it's always going to be bound up with the Scholastic editions with yeah. the Edward Gorey covers. But the, as we talked about previously, uh, what did this movie not do? Burn every copy of that book. Right, exactly. So I can always go back to it. So what, if if anything, it's bringing new eyes to a book right. that nobody has and talked gl- about in years. That I'm really glad about so, because I discovered when I last worked at a bookstore that only four of or three of his books were in print. Not even the complete books of this series. Oh, wow. So I'm really glad for that because now it means I can go to my local bookstore and hopefully get a bunch of copies I want. The Curse of the Blue Figurine and The Face of the Are they the all coming back? And, or? Um, I think they are. He's he's making a comeback. Because and I, this has done uh, very well, so it's possible that they'll make they'll more, make more of, of them. The, the seri- which is a really fun series. Um, and it's, it is does have similarities with Harry Potter. I mean, it does. In a way. There's magic. Well, there's, there's the stories of sorcerers living and, inside. Right. Yeah. They use the word warlock in this movie, mm-hmm. which, from my pagan days, I don't enjoy, but that's fine. Right, but... Warlock comes from the old English warloja, which means oathbreaker. Basically calling someone a liar. That's rude. <laughs> On the behalf of Christians everywhere, or just maybe me, I will apologize. Thanks. I'm sorry for all the terrible things that were done to the pagans. That's okay. We put our symbols in all your churches in Europe, so... Pagans did kill a bunch of Christians, but that's okay. Yeah, Christians killed a bunch of pagans, too, yeah, so... so yeah, not. all right. Let's, let's not go into who stop. killed who. We're not going to start a holy war in our house. <laughs> so the second thing that I wanted to do was make a recommendation for action. Okay, um, action. And and that is to look and see if you are near a Fathom Events Theater. Ah, Yes. Because at the end of this month, at the end of October, on the 22nd and the 29th, they're doing a um, a revisit to something that happened, mm, when was it? Like 2014, 2013? Uh, there's a, it's a, they're showing a stage production of a, pl- of the, of the play Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Directed by Danny Boyle, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, dueling Sherlock's, mm-hmm. uh, and they switch places as the Doctor and the Monster in each night. So the twenty second, Johnny Lee Miller mm-hmm. will be the, the Doctor, and Benedict Cumberbatch will be the the Monster. And then the 29th, the other way around. Or the other way around, I'm not sure. But they switch places. <laughs> I don't want to be... Well, but they switch places. That's what we know for sure. They switch places. It will be one or the other. So, uh, Fathom Events, um, they have they had released it in theaters a few years ago as a full event, like a five-hour thing where you watch both of them. Or sometimes they do it on alternate nights. Fathom yeah. Events this month is doing it on the 22nd and the 29th. That's Monday nights uh, at the end of the month. And they're doing it at AMC theaters, I know. Um, but I don't know if they're doing it at other theaters. But 
I would recommend going to see one, if not both of them. I would like to see both of them. Uh, so if that is of interest to you, it's happening. I've been waiting for them to release it on Amazon or Netflix or something so that I could see it, and they have not done that. It's also not available for purchase because it's actually something I would just buy, but that hasn't been an option. So if you're interested in seeing it, it's going to be in movie theaters at the end of the month. So that's my other recommendation. I'm, I would be really interested in seeing it. I, uh, I don't know who I'd want to see which part more. I know, that's why I want to see them both. I think if I could only choose one, I'd probably see Benedict Cumberbatch as the doctor and Johnny Lee Miller as the yeah, I think so. monster. Because of, as we were talking about previously, um, Johnny Lee Miller's, the, the use, we watch Elementary, you don't watch Sherlock, but I do. Uh, right. But in Elementary, Johnny Lee Miller does a lot of um, nonverbal acting, right? And I'd like to see how that translates into a largely nonverbal character. Uh, but I want to see them both. But I think that if I could only choose one, that's probably the one that I would choose. But plus, I like Benedict Cumberbatch's voice better, maybe than Johnny Lee Miller's yeah. voice, and he's going to talk more when he's the doctor. <laughs> so maybe he'll say penguin. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think that I want to get back into the habit now that I'm you know, employed of every once in a while checking out live theater. Theater. I yeah, and to, this is a nice way to check out live right. theater by not going to a live theater. Well, there's a... <laughs> we'll be able to see act, right. the actors, like, big. Yeah, that, that's something you miss in live theater. Although you also miss when something goes wrong and, it bec- yeah. and they have to work around it and it becomes True. amazing. There are times when they really compensate and it becomes beautiful. But I miss the experience of that. And it used to be that, you know, when I was, again, when I was younger, because apparently I'm making myself out to be a strange kid. You're getting my entire life right now. What I lost my virginity, what I watched on television. You're doing it. Um, I didn't do anything. But uh, I used to watch live performances on PBS. And you see less of that um, now. So this yeah. reminds me of the kind of things. Because recently there was a performance of Othello. That was done with Chiwetel Ejiofor and Ewan McGregor and Ooh. Kelly Riley and Tom Hiddleston. And it was apparently amazing. Who, did, who played Iago? Uh, I believe it was Ewan McGregor. Because I'd see Hiddleston or McGregor in that yeah, role. Yeah, I can. And so um, just l- thinking of that cast going, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen it. I but am we won't very much looking forward to the Masterpiece Presents... Hamilton with the mm-hmm. original cast. I've seen Hamilton. I was lucky enough to see it in San Francisco. I bought season tickets so I could see it. <laughs> That's literally the only reason I bought yeah. season tickets, although I saw a lot of great shows, um, including You Came With Me to See the Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night. Right, which, which was, was really good. good. Um, and that cast was spectacular. Yeah. I fucking want to see David and... Lynn and right. you know like I want to see that main cast that I've listened to in my car a thousand times yeah. perform it I want to and I know they have it I know they're going to do it <sighs> I'm just going to have to wait till yeah, I'm like 50 the sad part is that it's being priced out of a lot of people's price range and yeah. when we lived in Berkeley 
there were four or five active theaters in walking distance from our house. We yeah. went to go see a David Mamet play, which he didn't enjoy at the I time. I did not enjoy it. Um, and then uh, there was a really fun theater company that I used to take my nephew to, and he was young. He was in his early 20s at the time, but it was uh, they used to do modern dress Shakespeare with gunfights and kung fu, and, huh. and it was really fun. Their version of Macbeth was hysterical. There's a Berkeley rep. Right. performance right now that I wanted to go to. And I hate going on the Berkeley web- website because if you're under 35, you get discount tickets. And right. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's, See, it's a real bummer. Life will start looking rosier for me the older I get, at least Damn in that it. way. So, yeah, I'm, I would be looking forward to seeing Allegiance is at uh, CCCT right now. Ah. If you want to go see. They had, because we live in an area where there are a lot of Japanese people who were interned. Uh-huh. Um, so there were pictures. Oh, on well, the we CCCT. know Japanese people who are interned. No, of course. There were pictures on their website of, right. of members of the audience who right. had been. Wow. Um, yeah, which I think that they should probably get in for free. I, I think they should. They've, they've, yeah. they've been through They've been through enough. Uh, yeah. But so, uh, yeah, if you're interested in that, um, that Danny Boyle. Uh, Frankenstein, it is coming to theaters uh, nationwide. I don't know if you're near Fathom Theater, but yeah. fathomevents.com has all of the locations if you're interested, and yeah. I think you should check it That's out. That's a good recommendation. Awesome. Are we done? We're done. We're done. Next week, we're going to watch Changeling. Not the Changeling. Not the horror film. This is the... This is a movie with Angelina Jolie, which I would argue might be a horror film. Right. I'm not a parent. But the oh no no uh, the, the, the premise of, of the is, of the is movie is pretty horrific. Right. So, um, so we'll be back with that next week, and uh, then our Halloween retrospective, <laughs> which I'm, I'm looking forward to. It's going to be very I think it'll be good. Uh, My in wheelhouse. the meantime, if you want to reach out to us, uh, we are. We are six. We are on. Oh, it's one of my favorite books of all uh, time. Now we are six. When I was one, I had just begun. When I was two, I was still very new. Um, I do love that poem. Uh, well, I've lost all of my train of thought. Twitter, Twitter. Twitter. We are on Twitter at LatecomersPod. You can email us at uh, LatecomersPod at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and group. Page and group. I'm trying to be more active in there, but I'm bad at it, guys. I'm bad at it, and I'm sorry. You're a very busy person. Well, that's a terrible reason. Okay. <laughs> I'm actually not that busy, also. Uh, shh. Secret. I just want to do more. Okay. <laughs> Alright. I think that brings us to the end. Thank you for listening. We love you very much. And we would like you to remember better late than never. California, here we come, right back where we started from, California. On the stereo, listen as we go, nothing's gonna stop me now. California, here we come, right back where we started from. A pedal to the floor, thinking of the war, gotta get us to the show. California, here we come, right back.
back to where we started from California.